Hello from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is the Nick Zentner Geology Podcast, episode 106, Downtown Exotic. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Oh, God, Downtown Exotic. Exotic, oh, Lord. Uh, okay, let me clarify. I guess let me clarify about both words. The word downtown, yes, this is the second of four podcast episodes where I'm talking about the downtown lecture series. Four new lectures are coming at the end of this month, March 29th, March 30th, March 31st, and August, excuse me, or in April 1st, four nights in a row, late March 2023. And this is the second of four where I'm brainstorming, trying to get unstuck, essentially, from where I've been as I've been thinking about how I want to put these lectures together. If you didn't hear the previous episode of this radio series called uh, Downtown Backstory, that gives a little bit more detail on what I'm trying to do here. But I guess if you didn't hear that, I'm basically looking for ideas, looking for emails believe it or not, from some of you who are have the time and the interest to help me out. So my email address is nick at geology.cwu.edu. And after hearing this one, or if you want to wait until the final two downtown radio episodes to hear all four of these and then email me, that would be great. But if you wanted to do that, I would appreciate hearing from you. Okay, downtown exotic. Okay, well, exotic terrains. Most of you knew that, I think. And in this episode, I'd like to just talk without a real plan. That's nothing new. And I want to think about what I was doing for the first alphabet series that I did on my YouTube channel. 26 shows, 26 letters in the alphabet, and I did exotic terrains, A to Z, in the fall of 2020. And as I think about how I want to do these live lectures at the end of the month, yeah, I really am serious about taking three alphabets, which is a total of 78 episodes, and boiling them down to four. And I'm just not sure how much of what I end up with is coming from that first alphabet the topic of today. And then the next one of these radio things I'll do is is downtown Eocene, and the last one I'll do is downtown Baja BC. So these three alphabet series, serieses, I'm trying to think about without, uh, you know, back going back and watching every one of those. So I scratched down a few of the titles from that exotic terrain A to Z. I won't keep saying that, I promise, but you know what I'm talking about now. And my first question to myself, and I guess to you, is how much do I want to talk about the people involved? Like That's maybe one of my first thoughts to share with you just in real time now. That was the first time I was doing an alphabet series, fine. I liked that all the episodes worked together, fine. I had just come off of 75 backyard Nick from home sessions during the hardest part of the lockdown. That was me solo, and I was not 
really dealing with geologists at all. I wasn't dealing with geologists in the live chat. I wasn't dealing with geologists known and unknown by email or anything. It was just, I was imagining those first 75 live streams. I was just imagining talking to families. I was imagining talking to parents who had kids stuck at home. Uh, and, you know, some of the food props and, and all the kind of playfulness was kind of in the moment at the time. Uh, it was therapeutic for me. I think it was therapeutic for many. But if we then flash forward to the fall of 2020, that was different. I was still solo. I was still in my backyard. I was still using Larry the Ladder and the Cozy Fort and all that kind of stuff. But the tone was substantially different, I think. What was the first difference? I had geologists watching. I had a few geologists in the live chat interacting with everyone else watching and answering questions. I had four geologists emailing me regularly before and after each of the sessions. And those four geologists uh, in the fall of 2020 were Daryl Cowan, University of Washington, Jerome Lessman, Vancouver Island University in Canada, Chris Mattinson, Central Washington University, and Basil Tickoff. So I didn't know Basil much at all at that point. Daryl I knew of, certainly, but I had never dealt with him directly. Jerome I knew a little bit from the Ice Age floods, and Chris Mattinson I work with. And if you're a fan of these YouTube videos over the last few years, you know all those guys now. But back then, I didn't know them. And I was surprised that I was getting so much good information and good tips and good leads and good feedback from those geologists. So that's my first question. I don't, I don't think I want to get into the people involved in exotic terrains. If I'm just doing four one-hour lectures, I don't think there's time for that. But to me, that is the first thought is that I was not just entertaining people in my backyard. I think I was doing more than that. I, I think I was, uh, I was, I was reading scientific papers that these guys were sending me. I was, I was asking questions of them by email. It was, it was, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, senior-level geology-type stuff suddenly. And I was also, by interacting with them, getting those guys to talk to each other, which was a happy accident from the whole thing. So suddenly there was some collaboration between the geologists because they didn't know a bunch of the stuff that I was doing, and I didn't know a bunch of the stuff that I was doing. So it felt different, and I don't know how much to include, if at all, with the downtown lectures coming up. I hope you know what I'm doing here today. Um, I've, I've said it enough, so I'm just going to assume that you do. Okay, well, that's the first thing that comes up, people involved. And I was not involved at all directly with some other folks, but like a, a person like Karen Siglock, who I was hugely impressed by her papers and devoted one of the letters in that alphabet in the fall of 2020 to her, I mean, 
there was maybe one email from her, and I, I just assumed most of these folks just, you know, didn't have the time or the interest to, to see what I was doing. Okay, get off the per, get off the people thing. Okay, moving on to the content. Just as I quickly scratch down again by looking just at the titles of the uh, of the letters. The first six episodes, I do remember quite clearly. I was setting the table. That's a phrase that I had. Do you remember any of this? I'm going to talk to you. I guess like you haven't seen them, but some of you, maybe most of you, have seen those episodes. So, um. I didn't want to just jump in into the nitty-gritty. I had an episode on what a passive margin is. I had an episode on how we know where the edge of the craton was and how we got into the exotic terrains. I came up with a prop called a fruitcake, and Vinman's Bakery started making fruitcakes for me to use as a prop. But the fruitcake had different constituents inside of it, and that represented all these different kinds of scraps of oceanic material that got somehow added on to the edge of North America. Worked out the general timing of, you know, everything added in the last 200 million years. Established the idea that the terrains did not come in one by one, but they came in in groups, super terrains, clusters, families. But I didn't know more than that. And it truly was me learning, you know, for three days, then I'd have a Wednesday show, and I'd deliver it. Then I'd start from scratch in the next letter, read a bunch of papers, put something together, find some video clips, go on to the next letter. So it wasn't phony. It was all brand new to me. And I'm almost sure that for the upcoming lectures, one theme I am going to use from early in those in this alphabet that I'm talking about today one theme that I'm almost sure that I'm going to use is the fact that I had tried a number of times over the years prior to the lockdown to understand North Cascades geology in Washington, and I just I, it was just a frustrating experience. Like I'd go to the Chewakam Schist, I'd start reading a bunch of stuff. This is, you know, in the foothills of Mount Stewart. And I get into all this gory detail, and I had no idea what to do with the dates and the the, the thermal barometry and all the garnets, and it was just so dense and so complicated, and I didn't have any context. And I would try that with the Chelan Migmatite, and I would try that with the Skagit Nice, and I would try that with Mount Stewart Batholith. Those attempts did not work for me personally. They just didn't work. So I'd, re I'd try for a while, give myself a little pep talk. I need to learn about the North Cascades. Read a few papers, give up. Six months later, read a few papers, give up. So the breakthrough for me to really understand the complicated exotic terrains of the North Cascades was to leave the North Cascades of Washington and go across the border to Canada and learn exotic terrain stuff up in, in British Columbia. And you're like, that sounds weird. Why would you leave to learn? Well, that concept, I think that worked in the last downtown lecture that I did before the lockdown in April of 2019. The last one I did was called Hell's Canyon and the Ringgold Formation. And for some reason, I just rewatched the first 20 minutes of that. Oh, I know why. I was, I was, you know, I'm working with the Keith, the guy who's going to film 
these lectures at the end of this month, and Keith was not involved in filming back in 2019. And I said, "Here's, I'm re-watching this Hell's Canyon lecture, Keith, and I, I forgot how good it is. Not the content. I'm just talking about how the, the, the video quality, the, the editing between uh, a tight shot on stage and then a wide shot of the room. And it was Julian Smart uh, that did that work, a kid, a kid in his 20s. And, he, and boy, he did a nice job. So as I was re-watching that Hell's Canyon thing, which seems like a million years ago, you know, four years ago, for goodness sake, seems like 40 years ago. In that Hell's Canyon thing, I remember that the room went very still. I don't know, have you ever given talks in a room? There's different kinds of silence. And if you say something that is just a, a you know, just a sentence or two, but if it somehow surprises the audience or gets them to think about things very differently than they had thought before, or maybe it surprised them somehow, that, that it was an interesting thought. Boy, the room just, it feels different. It's an electric silence. That's the only way I can describe it. And occasionally I'll comment on that when I'm giving a live talk, whether it's recorded or not. I love those moments. In that particular moment, I said, to understand that, why Hell's Canyon got carved when it did, you need to leave the canyon. Like there's no evidence in the Hell's Canyon to answer your question about when the Snake River started to cut. And again, I don't know, maybe it's happening right now. It's like, wow, I'm conf I don't understand what he means, but like that sounds interesting. I want to hear more about that. And it's true, the whole Hell's Canyon lecture was talking about evidence downstream in the Ringgold Formation which are deposits that were the result of stuff coming from the Snake River, which came through Hell's Canyon. So I'm saying that, similarly, to really get the significance of the North Cascades of Washington, including Mount Stewart, and everything from Ellensburg up to the Canadian border in Washington, to get the significance of that, I needed to leave. I needed to go up to British Columbia, where the exotic terrains are large, much larger than the scraps of land we have down here, more exposed, possibly worked on more, although I'm not sure. But excuse me, but I was able to put a, a story together, and each letter in the alphabet was devoted to each of those terrains. Like what, you say? Well, there was one episode on Quinellia. There was the next letter in the alphabet was on Cache Creek. The next one was on Stakinia, and the three of those guys collectively are known as the Intermontane Superterrain. I didn't know that. <laughs> I was treating each of those individually until it finally dawned on me that Quinellia and Stakinia, two very well-known exotic terrains exposed in inland British Columbia, are the same stuff. Both Quinellia and Stakinia, two different shades of blue on Mappy McMap, have volcanic arc rocks out in the ocean, but a continental-looking cratonic basement. And some geologists, I now realize, including Stephen Johnston, who was a guest just a few weeks ago, views Quinellia and Stakinia as being part of the same volcanic arc. 
like one long string bean, like, I don't know, a ribbon continent. And then somehow you get Quinelli and Stachinia either folded so that you can cram some far-traveled Cache Creek, which has Teftian fossils within it from the other side of the Pacific. Somehow you fold the green bean and then you shove a bunch of peanut butter in between the green bean. Or something I didn't talk about two years ago, but got by email by Stephen three weeks ago. So maybe there's a major Baja BC fault that takes half of the string bean, breaks it, and sends it north on the strike slip fault to get this repeating pattern of having Stachinia, which is twice as wide as Quinellia, side by side in British Columbia. I know most of you can't visualize what I'm describing right now, but I'm just trying to give you a sense of each letter was talking about those individual exotic terrains for me, and I didn't make any connections between them until later in the alphabet, or as I just described right now, two years later. Leave it alone, intermontane. I think I was using a date of accreting that stuff 170 million years ago, mostly coming from Mitch Mahalanuk's work. Next two letters, Alexander Terrain and Rangelia Terrain. Letter for each of those. Alexander, that's the stuff coming through the Arctic long ago. Baltica, Origins. This stuff's now in British Columbia and Alaska. Rangelia, that stuff's apparently coming from the equatorial region. So you've got two terrains. Oh, that's a new thought right now. You've got two terrains within the insular superterrain. I'll just say half. Half of it's from the Arctic and half of it's from the equator. I mean, what? How did I not have that thought before? Holy cow. All right. So, you know, I'll continue with thinking about these details from this alphabet series we're talking about, but I, I guess I'll just check in with you and say, I just, can you see why I'm kind of stuck? Like, yeah, there's, there's plenty of good stuff, but how do I find four distinctly different lectures, talking about the live lectures later this month? I'm, I think I'm really looking for four skeletons. What, what skeletons can I establish, can I build for each of these independent lectures, these four independent lectures that can be viewed alone, that are not, it's not part of a four lecture series. It's boom, 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 boom. Four different lectures. And then, you know, the details are there. I'm going through the details, but that's the easy part, hanging the ornaments on the tree. I got to build four trees. I think I know what I mean. Okay, I'm back to just going through the alphabet. Uh, yeah, then I did take a moment and do an episode on Karin Siglock and tried my best to overthrow the monarchy, which is everybody saying the Rocky Mountains were built by flat slab subduction of the Farallon Plate. And we discussed in the series about how there's evidence in the mantle that you can find these old ocean plates that have subducted and there's nothing that looks remotely like a Farallon plate that's been subducting steadily for 200 million years, bringing these terrains to us. 
So that was a big moment in the series, for sure. Then, I did feel like I wanted to cross the border south into Washington, and I thought possibly I could then go to San Juan Islands, that's a letter. Cascade Foothills, that's a letter. Green Rocks, north of Ellensburg with Chris Mattinson, that's a letter. Mount Stewart, that's a letter. Chewakam Schist, that's a letter. Skagit Nice, that's a letter. You know what I mean? Each of those distinct different places in the North Cascades, I thought I would be able to just constantly refer back to what we had just learned up in British Columbia where things are apparently nice and simple, <laughs> relatively speaking. I thought I could just bring those things down across the border and then I could easily make sense of the North Cascades. Well, it didn't work. I couldn't do it. I gave up pretty quickly. I think I, I gave up immediately with the San Juan Islands. San Juan Islands, there's four very thin exotic terrains that have nothing to do with each other, exposed among the San Juan Islands, northwest of Seattle, in Puget Sound. And those are the pizza boxes. You know, I'm using frozen pizza boxes from the freezer. And I'm like, I don't I don't. I don't know, is, is this part of the insular? Is this part of the intermontane? Where did these little slivers of pizza boxes come from? Where's the rest of the terrain? <laughs> Everybody shrugs. In part because, I can't hold it, if you're a Baja BC person, if you are looking for the rest of the terrains, where the it's just the hats that are in the San Juan Islands, where are the heads? you got to look down in Mexico, I guess or in California, and there's not enough detail now to, to, to find those connections. So, yeah, the part about just learning B.C. and then just bringing it south across the border gave up real, real quickly. I didn't stop the alphabet, though. I just changed tack and started just learning what I could about the details of, of each of those exotic terrains. Cascade Foothills had Mount Shuxon and the Eastern Metamorphic Sweet had the Yellow Aster Butte. I had never been to those places. I have since, and if you watch the videos, you know that. But back then, I'd, I'm also be talking about Nebraska. I didn't know any of those places. Green Rocks with Chris Mattinson. I was just asking, like, what are some details about these green rocks? Why are they green? Why do they only kind of? Why do they typically form in an oceanic setting? What's the difference between serpentinite and eclogite and epidote and you know, blue schist and green schist. Okay, and then the most classic rock, uh, sorry, most the classic North Cascades geology that I thought maybe early on was going to be the entire alphabet, it turned out to be half the alphabet, was finally getting into the crystalline core of the North Cascades. To me, that's classic North Cascades. And what do I mean? That's the Mount Stewart Batholith, Chewakam Schist, Ingle Serpentinite, Windy Pass Thrust, Skagit Nice, Swakane Nice. What am I forgetting? Cascade River Schist. I mean, it's a long list, right? Some of them are more dominant than others as far as acreage. Some of them are more dominant than others as far as the amount that's been published on them. Uh, Hosamine, Metau, Nanaimo. Now we're up into British Columbia. Never been to the Nanaimo Basin. 
I'm talking about two years ago now. I'm almost nostalgic to that simpler time. I've learned a hell of a lot since then. But at the time, I was just trying to make some connections, and I think it was a struggle. Late in the series, now the weather's getting cold. By the way, I, the other two, the more two, the two more recent Alphabet series that I'm going to be talking about in the final two radio episodes here coming shortly. Those truly happened over the winter, from November to February. And I like that. But if you recall, fall of 2020 was a different time. The school year started early because of fear of a major uh, next round of coronavirus stuff. I've lost track of which which virus it was. Alpha and the what? Yeah, uh, Delta. Uh, uh, and so the school year started early and the school year finished early and everything was early. And if I had been thinking really clearly, I would have waited until the school year finished early and then I would have started in November. But that first alphabet series started in my backyard when the weather was nice. And I thought I was going to do the whole backyard series in fall of 2020 in my backyard. But then, you know, by the time we got to October, I was, it was too cold to do it outside. The phone was freezing because it was too cold, like literally not working anymore. And so the live stream would stop. So then I worked my way into the front porch of the house. And I did a bunch in the front porch. And then it got too cold for the front porch. And the last part of the alphabet that I'm summarizing today, I ended up you know, in by the piano <laughs> next to the, the main furnace vent that we have. So And Bijou was screwing up all the paper piles and everything. That's another thing. I was so heavy on papers that I was holding up to the camera and and things, you know, the, just printing like a madman and having all these piles of papers. And that feels like a long time ago because I'm not really a paper holder-upper anymore. Okay, to finish this radio episode at the 27-minute mark, let me just wrap up by saying that I finally did get to Baja BC in that first alphabet. I finally did get to restoring the strike slip faults and restoring the fruitcake and actually took a fruitcake and cut it all up and then tried to put it back together and I couldn't. And that was a lesson unto itself. But the thrilling conclusion of the first alphabet series, oh, Bijou's getting fed, is that I ended with Celestia. And that was the last exotic terrain to arrive here in the Pacific Northwest. Or the last terrain that we ran into. <laughs> We're back to that. And I don't think I announced it at the end of that alphabet, but it became clear to me that, man, a lot of stuff has been done a lot of papers have been written. A lot of geology is out there in broad daylight involving Celestia. And I was thinking to myself, boy, if I ever do another alphabet series, I'm just going to pick up where I'm leaving off right now. In other words, I'm going to pick up in the Eocene. And that's exactly what happened. Nine months later, I was at it again, got kicked out of the house by Liz because she was tired of us... <laughs> looking into her home, basically. Totally understandable. But I needed a whole new setup to do an alphabet series from the classroom. And that's what happened with the crazy Eocene starting in November of 2021. 
But that's the next radio episode where I try to summarize that. How can I put a cherry on top of this one? Um, I guess just I'll, I'll finish this one by, by just talking directly to you about what you might want to what you might want to email me about. I've already gotten a bunch of emails from the first uh, one of these, by the way. The, the last one, in other words, the downtown backstory, uh, maybe about 30 emails. I haven't replied to each of them, but uh, if you've already done that, thank you. So for this one, I guess I'm asking, should I, should I comment on how much I was able to learn in a short amount of time? Should I comment on who I was learning from? Should I comment on Daryl Cowan and Merle Beck and some of these guys who've been doing work for their whole careers essentially to no audience? I mean, just saying that out loud, that sounds interesting to me. Like, there are some geologists who just, oh, I'll say it, there's some geologists who I think are motivated personally they know the work they're doing is good. And like some sort of great artist or something, I'm overstepping it now, but let, let me try anyway. Like some great artist, Van Gogh or somebody, I, I don't know, like part of them knows that they're not going to be appreciated until they're gone. Maybe a century after they're gone. A few geologists, I don't think I'll embarrass them by naming them, but a few geologists I've talked to in the last few years have actually said that. They said, I know people are going to catch on to what I'm doing at some point, probably after I'm gone, but I'm just going to keep writing this stuff out. So to me, that, that's just inspiring. It's inspiring because they're totally into it, number one. They're not just doing it for a paycheck or they're not just doing it you know, they're just not half-assing it. They're, they're totally committed to it and have been for multiple decades. And, you know, there's plenty of geologists like that, but the plenty of geologists, most of the geologists who I just described that way are playing by the rules. They're, they're, they're working within the paradigms of the day. And so, you know, if, if they're writing stuff that everybody wants to read because it's similar to what they know, and then they're all just kind of basically writing about the same concepts and the same models and the same ideas, then kind of first order is that everybody's happy. Oh, yeah, I read your paper. It sounds exactly like what I've been doing. You know, oh, really? Oh, that's just like me. Oh, good. Okay, well, we're all on the same page. Everything's wonderful. It's more painful... <laughs> in the short term, if you're writing exactly the opposite of what else everybody else is writing. And if you really want to talk about pain, you do an incredible amount of work. You're mostly a lone wolf. You write these elegant papers or give this very powerful talk and it's met with a resounding thud of silence. They're not even acknowledging that you did anything. You just gave a 15-minute talk at a GSA meeting. Nobody comes up afterwards. Nobody says anything. It didn't even happen. 
It's like a tree falling in the woods. Did it even happen? Or you write out everything as eloquently as you can on paper. Spend incredible hours of putting figures together. You publish it somehow. And then nothing. I think I'm describing Merle Beck right now. Who passed away two months ago. I may be describing Robert Hildebrand. And we can go back and talk about him again at some point if you like. I think there's there's reasons both of those guys were out there by themselves. I'm choosing my words carefully now, but I'm attracted to those cats. I'm attracted to those people who have... It's not just a crazy thought and they publish a paper and then they move on to something else. They're at it for a long time and basically you know, tap dancing for nobody except themselves, as far as I can tell. So, you know, part of me wants to get into that somehow, but I don't know. Is the fourth of the four lectures talking about that? All these open questions and all, okay, maybe. Is it like a, a sociology thing on exotic terrains? Is it a human interest thing on exotic terrains? Is it some sort of... I mean, out of all these characters who operate like that, J. Harlan Bretz is the most celebrated. And he was pretty ornery too. He was part of the reason that he was solo. Just the way he dealt with everybody, I think. All right, well, that's a thought. I don't know. I'll have to stew on it. I'll see what you think about that. Should there be four lectures at the end of this month that are geology-specific, no comments about people at all, or should I save some of the people stuff and somehow do the first or the last of the four involving the people behind all of this and their crusade? <laughs> for understanding yeah interesting all right well, at least i think it's interesting who knows what you think maybe i'll find out by email okay i think that's the end of this one there was a bit of an audio problem in the middle something's going on with my garage band thing it keeps crashing halfway through i don't know what that's about i'll try to figure that out otherwise this audio setup seems to be working pretty well and i'm happy with the quality of the sound and the volume in your earphone and everything so Hopefully you made it to the end of this one. Uh, things are happening here in the next couple of weeks. I'm not sure when I'm going to get to the final two downtown series. I'm hoping to crank them out before things get wild again, but maybe not. So there's two more downtown radio episodes coming to you, dear listener. But I'm not sure if it's sooner or a little bit later. Regardless, thanks for listening to this one. I love you, dear listener. Thank you, and goodbye. From Ellensburg, Washington, USA.